I want to welcome everybody back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Habel here with Elias Randall. I just got back from Florida. I know I talked with you this morning, Elias. I got you pretty jazzed up, but how, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, I'm really good. Thanks for having me on the show. How was your Florida trip? I always enjoy getting away. Uh, we took our two daughters, six and three, from their first plane flight. So when we got home, I told my wife, I said, now I need a vacation from the vacation. That's how you feel yeah. when you get back. Well, yeah. we went to, oh, we I, went get, to I get, I've been there. Yeah. We went to a beach in St. Peter, Petersburg, Florida. So first time to, for the girls to the beach and, you know, they ran wild and had a great time. It was pretty exhausting for me just chasing them around and trying to deal with getting to bed in a hotel room and all those different things and traveling on an airplane. So we got home. I'm like, man, I'm exhausted. I think I fell asleep last night at like 745. Got the girls to bed. I went to bed. But now I need a vacation from the vacation. The one thing I like about vacation, though, I always seem to get recharged, new ideas. You know, I come back and I was all fired up this morning when you were in my office. I know I got you fired up, too. Yeah. And I think that's good. Just go see some different things, see the world, and just get a different perspective on how things are that we don't see every single day. And it's good. It's it's always good to have kind of a little mental reset, right? Some free time away from your normal routine. To me, it seems like I can think more clearly. I'm not as distracted by my routine life and everything. And I feel like, honestly, I've been on some vacations where I felt like I made like pretty good decisions just because I kind of had more of the time to relax and, and make them. Yeah, vacation always fires me up. I always get super super motivated when I go to different places and see how other people are doing things differently. And it gives me time to catch up on reading and maybe some of the stuff that I don't take as much time as I would during the day. Funny thing about traveling, my wife for years has always got upset with me because when we get on an airplane, I always fall asleep. So I usually catch up on a little sleep on the airplane. Not this time. I got zero sleep. Two little kids with you. It's a different deal. Yeah, I thought my wife was going to sit by the two little girls, and I'd sit on the other side of the aisle. About 20 minutes into the first flight, we flip-flopped because mom needed dad to put the smack down a little bit. (laughs) And uh, so I was sitting by the girls the whole time. I look over, my wife is the one napping. So she caught up in the sleep. And I and I dealt with the little ones, which it was fun. They they looked out the window and had a good time. But one of the big articles that caught my eye, and I don't know how many people would know this gentleman by name, but if you've been in the finance world for any amount of time, his name's Peter Thiel, and he's a co-founder of PayPal. He was an early investor in Facebook, probably became the most famous in the movie, the uh, the Facebook movie that came out several years ago as one of the early investors in Facebook, but he called out Warren Buffett and called him the top enemy of Bitcoin and basically called him a sociopathic grandpa from Omaha. Right. So I was a little bit shocked by this and then I started reading it. So, uh, Peter Thiel, he's, I guess he's on the long side of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, meaning he's a believer and, He's a buyer and an investor in it. And then Warren Buffett and his company, um, especially Warren Buffett, has been fairly outspoken. I'm pretty sure him and Charlie Munger have referred to Bitcoin as rat poison. Um, I watched an interview just the other day on, it was an older one on YouTube where Buffett was talking about cryptocurrency. And 
and he he goes, well, you know, a couple hundred years ago, people did it with tulips, and now we're just doing it with Bitcoin. So he was uh, referencing the tulip mania bubble that some people are familiar with. Um, so yeah, I guess he's a sociopathic grandpa from Omaha. To uh, that was Steele's quote. When I heard this quote, I just went and did a little Google search and some YouTubing on Warren Buffett, but he said a similar thing about gold and why he wouldn't want to own gold. And he said, if you melted all of the gold in the world, it would make a cube 68 feet per side on all sides. 68 feet. All the gold in the world would be 68 feet if you melted it all. Okay, got it. So think about that. That's like 30 yards. It's it's like nothing. And he said, and you took the value of that gold, you'd be able to own all of the farmland in America. You'd be able to own seven Exxon mobile companies, just putting this into what you could own with this amount of gold. And he goes, what would you rather have a 68 foot cube of gold or all the land in America, as well as seven companies, the size of Exxon mobile. Yeah. That's to me, that's an easy one. I'm taking the land and the companies or the companies. So I think his, his bias towards other opportunities versus gold or Bitcoin. I don't think it's just Bitcoin. He looks at gold. I think similarly, to Bitcoin that he doesn't see functionality or some driver of value in it. And whether he's right or wrong is irrelevant. Peter Thiel's whole notion is that there's really three people or three very influential people in America suppressing the value of Bitcoin. That's Larry Fink, Jamie Dimon, and Warren Buffett. And he believes that's the reason that Bitcoin hasn't went somewhere between a hundred thousand and $1 million per coin. So I agree to a certain extent. I see his point of view and his perspective where he's coming from. I think the, in my mind, I think the value of Bitcoin has a lot more to do with a lot of people don't understand what it is and how it works. I think that's a probably a bigger hurdle, but I do agree where if Jamie Dimon and Warren Buffett and who's other guy, Oh, Larry Fink, if those three people were very positive on it, I, that would have a positive impact on Bitcoin. It, it would almost certainly have to, but it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't change the fact that there's a lot of consumers out there. People ask me questions all the time and they, they have, I feel like I have somewhat of an understanding. I'm not an expert level, but I've researched it enough. Well, most people have zero understanding other than they know there's a price of it and the price fluctuates. That's pretty much what people understand about it. If you think about how Warren Buffett has built his fortune and Peter Thiel, it's almost opposite. Warren Buffett believes investing in companies that he perceives ha have a value or are undervalued. Peter Thiel has made his by going after the riskiest investments out there before they're mainstream, PayPal, Facebook. Those that's just a, aren't. That's a good point. That's good insight. So it's not that either one of these guys are wrong. They just view investing from two different lenses. And that's the beauty of investing. You could have two opposite opinions and they may each be right. We always say it a lot of times. There's people that are predicting market crashes. Yep, they'll be right. I just don't know when. And people can predict a bull market and they'll be right. We just don't know when and how long, but that's the beauty of investing. They can both be right. But 
most people refer to Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett as the Oracle of Omaha and arguably the greatest investor of all time. I had my uncle at my house two weeks ago for my daughter's, um, for my daughter's birthday. And he was an advisor in town. He's done very, 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 very good investing. And we were, we were talking about Berkshire Hathaway. And he was telling me a story when he bought his first Berkshire Hathaway shares, A shares. He bought them for $1,000 a share. In fact, he gave one to his dad as a gift because his dad had treated him so well. He very gave nice him a gift. Very nice gift. Gave him a few shares of Berkshire Hathaway stock. The stock was worth when we were chatting, and he still has shares. I don't know how many. $573,000 per share. Yeah, for the A-share Berkshire Hathaway For the A-share Berkshire. Yeah. So arguably the greatest investor of all time. And we started talking about why they don't pay a dividend. And my dad was there. My dad didn't know the story. And my uncle goes, well, do you know why Berkshire Hathaway won't pay a dividend? And he goes, no, I don't. And my uncle goes, well because Warren Buffett believes he can invest the money better than you can. And that was insightful. That's why they don't pay a dividend. He can do a better job reinvesting the cash in companies than you probably can. And and he's always been his kind of one of his philosophies. He wants to grow the share prices price as much as pos- possible, which lends to what you were just saying, right? He just believes you, if you invest today at a thousand and he can grow it to 5,000, that's his goal for his money. For why, the would, money. why would I pay a dividend back out to the investor if yeah. they're not as good as, as I am? But so known for a long time as the greatest investor of all time, not only is he a great investor, but he's a very charitable person. In fact, he's committed to donating 99% of his wealth to charity. He's already given away more than $45 billion, mostly to the Bill Gates Foundation and his children's foundations. But that's pretty amazing that it's not just about the money. And I, and I do think at this point in his life, it's not about the money. It's he likes to buy and sell companies and build something larger. Yeah, I think he's been his actions have always kind of shown he's passionate about what he does. I mean, just the fact that he's lived in the same house for, what, 60 years or something. It's like the first house he ever bought. He still lives there. Um, and then I just had a couple kind of sidebar comments, things I thought were funny from this and things I think are entertaining about Warren Buffett. So Peter Thiel makes this really strong comment about him. I guarantee like this isn't even on Warren Buffett's radar. He does he not care, care what he has to say about him. And that's one thing I found entertaining is like over the years, listen to him and Charlie Munger, it's like, the older they get, the more comfortable they are just make just like being who they are. And they don't really care what other people have to say about them. Have you, and I can admire that. Have you watched any like the YouTube videos that are out there? There's a lot of people that'll take clips from like the uh, shareholder meetings and they'll make videos. Like the one liners and yeah, the funny like things they say. Yeah. Or they'll just yeah. have like a 20 minute or 15 minute snippet of something. And there's some really good advice that you can find in some of those videos. I get, I get caught watching these videos all the time. I'll go from one and then to the next. Um, but I, I tend to watch them and I think they're great investors, but there's over Warren Buffett's time. There's been seven, what we quote genius things that he's said to do with your money. Yep. And let's go through what those seven things are. Maybe we can help some of the listeners with their money and maybe they can, you know, take one or two of these things to give them a better financial future. But um, number one, 
obvious is never lose money. Yeah, I, and as I was, we should probably kind of quantify, right, what it means by never losing money. And his rule one, never lose money. Rule two, rule two, never forget. Rule one, he's probably not referring to fluctuations in the market. Correct. He's referring to he, the quote here, if you're working from a loss, it's much harder to get back to where you started, let alone to earn gains. Well, his investments have fluctuated over the years, but when he invests in a company, he's investing with a long-term outlook. So the money he's putting in, he's planning on owning that company for a long period of time. And he's looking for opportunity when he invests. He's known for sitting on billions of dollars of cash waiting Correct. for the right time to buy. And recently he's actually started buying some individual companies as the market has pulled back. He's found some opportunities, but he is a very, very patient investor. He does not try to time the market. And I think you're right. His whole idea is not, Hey, you're the investments. It's okay. If they go down, you just can't lock that loss in. If Correct. you think about Think about what we do for people when they get to the distribution phase. We start to build that bucket strategy or the distribution strategy they're going to have. This is exactly what we're trying to do is not operate from a loss in the first year. So if you have a person or individual that has a 401k and they leave all their money in their 401k and they retire and it's all invested in, the, let's just say, the S&P 500 index. They have made no allocation changes over 30 years. And that's been a tremendous investment for them over 30 years. They retired day one. The S&P 500 index is now down 30%. The only way they can get money to live on is now to sell the index as it's down. Locking their loss in, which what Warren Buffett's saying right here, it's a lot harder to get a gain if you sold something at a loss. So I think that's the number one thing for people to think about when never lose money. Too many people think about this as can't fluctuate. No, losing money, you haven't lost it until you've sold it. Right, and, and an account fluctuation is just part of investing and it's always going to be part of investing. Your accounts are not going to consistently just go up year after year. Over the long term, the market has proven to go up um, over the long term, but you know, there's fluctuations along the way. Two, the second genius thing Warren Buffett believes you can do with your money, get high value at a low price. In a 2018 shareholder meeting, here's his quote, price is what you pay, value is what you get. I love that. That's true. Anybody can pay a price, but what's the value you're going to get? So he waits for opportunity as you can do with your investments. We don't believe people should be day traders. But that doesn't mean you can't be opportunistic. Yeah, absolutely. You can be opportunistic. And I think one of the things I like from this, get high value um, at a low price. And there are, and he's kind of been known as a value investor. And I think, I think a mistake some do-it-yourself investors make is they start to look at like some people just buy investments based on the price or like you hear a lot about price to earnings ratio and people want a company with a low PE. Well, it goes back to this companies with low PE. It's for a reason. Their price to earnings ratio is low for a good reason, because they're not a company that can grow into those earnings most likely. So when you buy, even if you buy a company that's trading at a higher ratio, you might be paying more price, but in the long term, are you getting more value? 
And that's more important than, oh, well, this stock is cheap or it's trading cheap to its earnings. Um, the value you're going to get is much more important. I think that's kind of what he's getting at here. Well, he had another quote. He said, whether you're talking about socks or stocks, I like buying quality merchandise when it's marked down. Me too, especially socks. We've talked, I, I always <laughs> joke with people, you know, we shop at Von Mauer. There's one here in town. I don't know. There's probably not Von Mauer everywhere in the U.S., but locally. And it's kind of known as the higher-end retail store. You know the first place I go when I go into Von Mauer? Clearance. Sale rack. They have good stuff on the sale rack. It's all the stuff that was normally priced. So, like, this time of year, I'll go in. Are there any of the, like, jeans or the brands that I like that are marked down by 60%? They're exactly the same thing they were three months ago. Yeah. I'm going to need jeans next year. I'm not too proud to buy on the sale rack. That's the first place I go. Now, will I buy a regular price merchandise? Sure. But if I can get the brands, the style, the sizes that I like on the sale rack, why wouldn't I do that? Because they're high-end clothing. I'm willing to pay good money for merchandise that'll last longer. Yeah, and if you can get it at a discount, why wouldn't you? That's why um, there's a store called, it's called Ross Dress for Less over on the side of town I live on it's become it's kind of become my favorite place to go for one simple reason they sell Greg Norman golf polos in there and I really like those and I like the little shark logo on there because he's the shark but I can get them for 15 bucks instead of 80 if I order them online or go to the like the actual retail stores that they like to promote their products it, it took a little bit of time to find it and you have to be patient because they don't have all the colors maybe not your size right well how many colors and sizes do you need you need one size. And so I, yeah. I think that's a really, really good point is that value is what you get. Price is what you pay. Three, form healthy money habits. He's quoted in a 2000 address at the University of Florida. Most behavior is habitual. And they say that chains of habit are too light to be felt until they are too heavy to be broken. Work on building positive money habits and breaking those that hurt your wallet. We had a good segment on our radio show this last week when Jonas and I are on, and it was about what can people in their 20s, people just getting started out, what can they do? And and one of the highlight points from that part of the conversation was get started saving money. And a kind of an example I used was if, even if it's only $10 a week, You, my point is, you can't learn how to save money by spending all of it. So if it's $10 a week, start with that. But it's one habit and then build from there and build yourself into some bigger goals um, with your money. And I think, you know, the healthy money habits, just like any other habit, you're going to teach yourself. You're either going to teach yourself how to do those things or, or you're not. So um, I was I, watching I was watching a video this morning on YouTube from the Wall Street Trapper. I'd never seen this guy before. Tom Bailu, I think is his name, Bailu. Um, and he was talking about how people spend their money. And he had a really good analogy. Everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people have a lot of bills, a lot of outflow, debt, all this different place that they have to be stressed out about where they're sp sending their money. And as soon as they pay it off or they pay all the bills for the month, because they put so much energy into paying off those debts or paying down the bills, they feel like they should go reward themselves. Like psychological. It's like, it's yeah. like being on a diet, man. I just ran three miles. 
I can have the ice cream cone. And he related this to money. I just paid everything off. I didn't have the ice cream cone, which is I go out for a dinner I can't afford or I can get a trip I can get. And that's how people's mentality, that's how they're thinking. When in reality, after they just paid everything off, the first thing they should be doing is thinking about saving. So people's money habits are completely backwards and habits are really hard to form and they're hard to break. If you think about people trying to lose weight, you can't just exercise and lose weight. You can't just have a diet and lose weight. You have to do both. It's hard to get on the routine. It's a lot easier to, to you know, get out of the habit of working out than it is to stay in that habit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing it now for like three months and I went on vacation and I had, you know, I had an ice cream cone. I felt guilty about it. Guarantee it's going to be hard for the next week to not crave the the French fry or the ice cream cone. It's going to be a little bit of work and I haven't worked out for four days. So it's going to be work to get back in the groove because I got in the habit of not doing it. Right. And it's just a week. But like I was saying before, if you go do a 20 minute workout, get yourself built back into it, you know, you can get back into it. Right. I got up this morning at five o'clock and hit it hard. Felt good. good, good way. It's probably why I'm all fired up today. That's where it started. Yeah, it is where it started. <laughs> Four, avoid debt, especially credit card debt. This is pretty simple. Most credit card debt has a rate of 18% of your interest. Credit card debt is the, it's the devil of the financial world for most people. It is. And it's the exact opposite of, we talk about over the long term the the effects of compounding interest. Well, credit card debt is the exact opposite of that. It's compounding interest w working against you. And it's, you know, it's not five or 6% on credit cards. We're talking like 18 to 20%. That is a huge hurdle to overcome. And for most people, once they get in trouble, they're going to be in trouble. They don't have the opportunity to out earn it. Self-employed people or people that own businesses they have the ability to out earn what they just spent that they shouldn't have. But if you're working a regular job and you have an employer and you get a W-2 and a set wage, there's no way for you to earn a bigger bonus. The only way for you to out earn it is to get a second job. And most people don't want to do that. So once you get in credit card debt and you have a, a job with a set salary or set income, how are you going to pay it off? Yeah, you Every have to build person, your life around that. Before yeah. you put anything on that card, your first question is, how am I going to pay this off? Because if I didn't have the money to pay for it today, how do I think I can pay for it over the next three or four years, especially paying 18 to 20% interest? Well, but we don't do that. It's too easy. And the banking system is partly to blame for this. The banks love it. I got to tell you, this is a, a good story about money habits and how it's easy to get into bad ones. So... For years, up until like, oh, six or seven, I wrote checks for everything. Carried cash and I wrote checks. Had a local bank. Hey, you know, we'll give you a 5.25% interest on your checking account. But you have to use your debit card 15 or 20 times a month and run it as a credit card instead of a debit. And that's how you got the interest. I'm like, well, yeah, this is easy. You know what I realized? I spent three times as much money. I no swipe, longer swipe, 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 yeah. swipe. And it got me in the habit of swiping the card today. Do you think I ever, I mean, I still write a few checks, not many. Guess what we do? Swipe the debit card, swipe the debit card. Cause we got more, in the habit so of doing more it. convenient. Well, and yeah. the banks are partly to blame. They incentivize you to use that card so they can collect fees. 
I mean, hey, they're great at teaching people how to spend money. They're pretty much experts on that. Number five is learn about money. He's Warren Buffett is quoted as saying, risk comes from not knowing what you are doing. This is true in every single fast of life. If you don't know what you're doing, I don't care what it is. You can put yourself in harm's way. I, I love to fish in boat. If you don't know what you're doing in a boat, you can get in trouble really fast. You there's forgot lot, to put the plug in. There's a lot of risk in. out there. And I, I have a boat. There's certain things on this new newer boat I have. I don't know how to work it. That's a little dangerous. Like I've spent time reading the manual and trying to figure out how everything works because the last thing I want to do is put my myself in harm's way. Most people don't ever learn about money. We're not, not taught yeah, about money. Not to a point they should. We're not taught about money. We don't learn about money. Yeah, they might get the general, the general aspects of it, but... People don't feel empowered with money because they don't understand how it works. Yeah. And this is so when um, younger people ask about getting started and everything, um, I don't think you need to know everything when you start. You can learn as you go, especially when you're young, because you have plenty of time. Um, I mean, and I guess when I say young, I'm talking... Like to me, if you're under like 45, 50 years old, I still consider that young. Um, you can get started. You can learn as you go. I think it also kind of highlights the benefits of working with professionals and hiring a firm to help you. Because if you're working with someone that you like and you trust and you can trust them to help make like the good investing decisions, then you just have to rely on yourself to do the hard work of saving the money. You don't have to know everything, but even if you hire somebody, you should still have like a certain level of responsibility to learn the stuff they're trying to teach you, understand how they're trying to help you. Most things in life, the more you learn about them, a couple things happen. One, you become more comfortable with what you're doing. You become more comfortable with risk. You become more comfortable spending your money. You become more comfortable saving your money. We have a lot of people that come in here and you can ask them what the risk tolerance is. Oh, I don't like risk. Why? Why? I think I can lose all my money. You could. And then you educate them a little bit on how it works, how investing works, how an index fund works, how, why we diversify. And if you think about losing all of your money, all is a lot. If you bought the S&P 500 index and lost all of your money, we all might have a bigger problem than losing our money because it means we, every single company went bankrupt. Yeah, we would have bigger money would be the least of our worries at that point. Correct. But people believe that the stock market is inherently risky. And it is in the short, short time, short period of time, right? In the short term, there's risk there over long periods of time, 10, 15, 20 years. There's no guarantee you will make money or it will go up. But history has shown us that it has a tendency to go up over time and it kind of limits or mitigates your risk if you have a diversified portfolio. So those people who were able to educate or when we do a financial plan, Elias, and we can show them based upon your probability of success, you should have 70% in the stock market because your probability is 80% 80% probability of success if you invest 70% of your money in a total return portfolio or your probability of success is zero if we go to all cash 
we're helping them be, become educated on why they should do certain things. You know, we kind of adopted a motto a few years ago, educate and inspire people. The more we educate people on money, that's why we do this show. We're not trying to sell anything. We're educating people on how you should treat your money and what some of the things people can do to be successful are. The more we educate people, the better investors that they'll actually be long-term. And that's, that's really the, the bottom line of it. When someone understands that their situation is going to work out and they're going to be okay, it gives them a level of conviction to, um, to kind of write out, you know, the, the first three months of this year, were a great example of the markets are volatile sometimes and your account goes down, but clients that we work with that are really bought into our process and the way we do things, you know, they understand it's part of it. They also understand we have them positioned for the long term to be successful. So, you know, I, for the most part, everyone's been, yeah, is it a poke in the eye? Does it hurt a little bit? It does. But I don't think we've had people panicking and making bad decisions. Number six, which how did we know this would be one of them, but is to give back. According to Buffett, he once said, if you're in the luckiest 1% of humanity, you owe it to the rest of humanity to think about the other 99%. I find in life, whether it's money or time, whatever it may be, whenever you give back, good things come to you. It doesn't have to be monetarily. If you have the, if you're fortunate enough to give your money, great. If you're not, you still can donate your time, those other things and good things will happen. Yeah. It's just, um, karma, right? What goes around comes around. If you're nice and you're good and good to people, a lot of times good things happen to you. Well, we talked about this this morning. What happens is, so let's say you're, you're not one of the lucky 1% that can give away 99% of your money, which None of us here Odds are. are we won't be. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we can't give small amounts if we can afford it. But two, you can give time. And what happens when you go out and get in the community and donate your time? You build connections with other people. And we don't know where those connections lead. Maybe it's to the next charity we can be part of. Or maybe it's just, hey, that was the introduction to the next business opportunity or the next job or whatever it could be. Giving back is a great way to in general, just live a more fulfilled life for most people. I agree. And I agree with Buffett's stance on if you're, um, you know, one of the most fortunate people in the history of the world, it's, it's probably a good idea to kind of think about the rest of the people around and what can you do to help them? I can and tell I think you that's very good that he's a good leader. I think in that perspective, just kind of being outspoken about that. I think he's a very good leader for doing that. And number seven, maybe the best advice out there is view money as a long-term game. We've talked about this so many times in this show. What happens in the next 20, 30, 60 days over the course of your lifetime isn't going to be that relevant. It's a it's drop really, in the bucket. What's relevant, though, is your savings rate over the long term. It's super relevant. If you wait to save, it makes this game way harder that if you start doing it today. It does. And there's also a lot to be said for Warren Buffett's success as an investor. I mean, he's regarded, some people regard him as the best investor ever. And some of that is the businesses he got into younger in his career. He was big into buying insurance companies. 
He also had a very long time horizon for his investments. And that's something that he's considered one of the greatest investors. Part of it is because of his long-term outlook and the long-term time horizon he's making decisions with. Um, I just want to highlight, so he's not considered like the world's greatest trader or market timer. He's been very good at picking companies and then holding those companies for a long period of time and being very smart with his money. There's an allure to short-term short-term rewards we all have. Everybody out there wants to happen quickly. Well, of it, course, I want to get rich quick too. It takes a different person to say, hey, I'm good if this happens over 20 or 25 years. Everybody wants to get rich quick. There's right. very, very few get-rich-quick schemes. Most get-rich-quick schemes are go-broke-quick schemes too. And that, that's the nature. And we're stuck in that mentality right now. I, I remember this a few weeks ago, a month ago. Someone came in. He goes, well, what about the GameStop and the AMC and the short trade? I go, you think that's how you're going to retire? And they had no savings rate. They're not saving any money. They were. Do you remember? You know exactly what media I'm talking about. I and I go, I, I just politely said, I said, that has very little impact on whether you're going to be able to retire. If you're planning on investing $5,000 and thinking you're going to hit the lottery, it's likely not going to happen. What you need to do is start maxing out your 401k. The easiest thing you could do is just, oh, yeah, here, put in the max. They're not getting the maximum match at work. Go get the maximum match from your employer. Once you do that, max out your Roth IRA, just little, little things. But that's the long game. No one wants to wait for that. No, everyone, yeah, everyone wants to get rich quick. And I'm not even a gambler, but when the lottery gets high enough, do I go buy a ticket? Yeah, I do. Just because, you know, it's the allure of, oh, this could actually happen. And it's fun to think about what I would do if this did happen. But the reality is if you're going to build wealth, it's going to take a long time and it's going to take saving your money. I always get a kick and I had this recently. Someone asked me about a stock and they're going, well, I'm just thinking like a thousand bucks or something that doesn't really matter. Well, my point was if you buy that stock, you put a thousand dollars into it. How much does it have to increase to then you have a meaningful amount of money in the big picture of your life? So if it goes up 20 X, what you got $20,000, is that going to change your life? No, no. it have to go up such an, like, it's just not possible for that to happen. So they, I just, I mean, but you do a thousand bucks a month and to a real like investing plan and a portfolio that can really help you over a long period of time. Investing one shouldn't be exciting <laughs> Two, It's not going to be exciting for a long time. If you're starting at zero, before you start to see any meaningful returns, think about this. You have $50,000 in your account and the market goes up 10%. You made five grand. Nobody's excited. But right. now you keep doing that over time. Now you have half a million dollars in your account. at 50 grand. That starts to be cool. That feels you got pretty good. Looks pretty good. Now you got 2 million in your account. You made 200,000. That's exciting. Yeah. Now you're you're gaining what a lot of people don't even make for a salary in a year when you have right. that kind of money. But to get there, it has to be this vision on this long, long-term outlook and this long-term investment, um, investment vision that you've got. With that said, it's always enjoyable talking about Warren Buffett on the show. I think 
personally, for me, I consider him the greatest investor of not of all time. I'm going to listen to what Warren Buffett says because it's been tried and true over the history of time. Hope everybody enjoyed the show. Elias, do you have any kind of closing comments? Yeah, sure. Full disclosure, I, I do not think Warren Buffett is a sociopathic grandpa from Omaha. I think... Well, he's a grandpa. Yes, I don't agree with that. <laughs> yes, I don't agree with the other things. Um, you know, I just, I think that's some commentary to get people excited and thinking about Peter Thiel's agenda, which it's obviously in crypto. Um, and that's fine. I'm not bashing him for that. I think you can look at people like Warren Buffett and the great investors and just learn the lessons from them. And his, a lot of this stuff is going to be timeless. I mean, yeah, is he old? He is, but a lot of the way he did it, I just don't see that being a way that will ever not be effective. Like we talked about, the beauty is they can both be right. Yeah. And they can both be successful, even if the other person is right and they're wrong. Yeah, it's not one way or the other. There's, right. That, yeah. that it's not mutually exclusive. Just because one person is right doesn't mean the other won't be successful in their investing strategies. There's a lot of different asset classes to invest in. You don't have to hit the lucky lucky lottery ticket. To win. Uh, with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening and uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.